0: I was on retreat this past week, and for my holy hour every day during the retreat, I prayed with the words of Jesus at the Last Supper from the Gospel of John, which is chapter 13 to 17 in the Gospel of John, is this long discourse and of Jesus with his apostles at the Last Supper. It's the longest explanation of the Last Supper out of any of the Gospels. And chapter 13 starts with the event that we all know very well, that we commemorate every year on Holy Thursday with the washing of the feet. But when I prayed with it this time, something struck me about that event of the washing of the feet that I hadn't really noticed before. St. John, when he starts the event of the washing of the feet, the first thing that he mentions to set the scene is that Judas had already given himself over to Satan and he was about to betray the Lord. Jesus knows this. We know because later on, just a few verses later, he says that he knows who's going to betray him. And yet, right after that, Jesus takes off his outer robe, ties a towel around his waist, and washes all of the disciples' feet. Even Judas. And then, right after that, St. Peter We all know how he reacts to when Jesus comes to try to wash his feet. No, Lord, there's no way you can wash my feet. This doesn't make any sense. Don't do it. And Jesus says, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part in me. And so then Peter's like, okay, fine, wash me, head to toe, because I obviously need it. I need more than just my feet. And Jesus says, whoever is bathed does not need to be washed except for their feet. And then Jesus says, you are clean, though not all of you. Clean. Jesus calls Peter clean, even though that we know just a few hours later he will deny him three times. And yet, even though Jesus washes Judas's feet, just a few moments later he basically tells Judas, "Get out of here. Go do what you're going to do. You're not part of us anymore. You've made your choice." And with Peter, even though, though Peter says, I will go to you with to death, Lord, Jesus says, no, you won't. You're not going to do it. In these, it like 15 verses, we see side by side, juxtaposed one to another, this incomprehensible mercy of Jesus who washes his traitor's feet and who calls Peter the denier, clean and then at the same time you're not going to be part of me anymore these two things coming together and I think that's part of what we see in our readings today in the first reading with Moses Moses is overwhelmed by the work and all the requests that the people are bringing to him so he asks God for help so God says pick 70 elders from among you and I will send my spirit on them so that they can deal with the lesser problems and you don't get overwhelmed by work. Moses is like, great. Pick 70 elders, makes up a list. They're all supposed to show up at the tent at a particular time to receive this gift of God's spirit, to be leaders in the community. Two don't show up. They're on the list. They don't come. Then Joshua, after, comes to Moses and says, Moses, they didn't do what they were supposed to do but they're prophesying in the name of God. Moses is like, so? They're prophesying in the name of God. And it's more or less the same thing that John complains about in the gospel today. That he points out that there's this man who is healing in your name, Jesus, and he's not following us. He's not being a disciple. He's not listening to your teaching day after day. He didn't leave family and homeland to follow you like we did. And he's trying to heal in your name. Who is this guy? Jesus is like, so? He's acting in my name. But then, right after that, Jesus says, if you put a stumbling block, just a stumbling block in front of the little ones who believe in me, It's better if a millstone, a millstone's like this big, be hung around your neck and thrown into the sea. This great mercy and this seemingly harsh judgment. And for me, what's wrapped up in all of that is a saying that you may have heard before of love the sinner, hate the sin. And this is what we see from Jesus time and time again. It's this exceeding incomprehensible mercy to individual people, and yet zero tolerance for sin. Very harsh judgment on sin. And that idea can be applied to so many different things in the way that we go about our Christian life. Love the sinner, hate the sin. In the way that we deal with people in the world. In the way that we deal with other Christians. In the way we deal with each other in this parish. But what I want to focus on today is the way that it applies to you personally. To love the sinner and hate the sin in yourself. And if you want a simple little test to see whether you actually live this out, that Jesus says this is the way that God approaches you, with those things that you do habitually or that you've done over and over again that you've been trying to work on for years in your life, when you do it, What is your reaction? If your reaction is, man, I can't believe I did it again, then you're not loving the sinner and hating the sin. Because the moment that you make judgment on yourself, you're not letting God's mercy come in, and really you've done nothing to deal with the sin. You've made no action towards rooting out that sin. all you've done is judged yourself. When we do that to ourselves, we are not loving the sinner and hating the sin. So, how do we work through that? Well, first, it's knowing what loving the sinner means. We're harsher judges on ourselves than God is on us. Just about everyone. It's rare that I meet somebody who isn't. We're not very good at loving ourselves. And for a Christian, what loving ourselves means is letting God love us. That's what that means. When we let God love us for who we are, when we let God wash our feet even when we know we're a sinner, when we let God say, I have made you clean even when we know that we have denied Him in our thoughts, words, or actions, that's when we let God love the sinner. But what we sometimes forget is that we also have to hate the sin. We have to hate the sin. What I try to keep in mind and I share with others sometimes is you're supposed to be gentle with yourself and harsh on the sin. But how often do we do the opposite? We're harsh on ourselves and we're rather quite gentle with our sin. Because if we were harsh with our sin we would take much stronger action to root it out of our life. But our harshness is usually directed towards ourselves not so much to sin. For example, let's say you struggle with gossip or you struggle with being angry quickly or maybe that you're impulsive in action. What are you willing to do To root out that sin. If you struggle with gossip. Or if you struggle with being angry quickly in speech. What are you willing to do to work on that? Maybe it means that in every conversation you don't speak for five minutes. You force yourself not to react or say a word for five minutes. And you let the other person say whatever they want. No matter how you're emotionally reacting to it interiorly, you say, no, I am not allowed to speak. Because if I speak, I'm going to be quick to that judgment, that reaction. Or maybe what if you struggle with being judgmental in thought? What if you force yourself every time you catch yourself making a judgment on another person, I have to pray three Hail Marys for them? Every time you realize that you've made a judgment on another, even if it's in the middle of a conversation, you pray for them. What lengths are you willing to go to be harsh on the sin, but gentle with the sinner? And if you do not do those things, don't beat yourself up, I can't believe I didn't do what I said I was going to do to God. If you don't do it, Lord, here I am, weak. Sinful, I need you. I need your mercy. Why is that so important? Because what we do, whether we realize it or not, is the moment that we make a judgment on ourselves for the wrong that we've done, we've implicitly blocked out God. Because if we are going to act differently than what Jesus says God acts in our life, we're implicitly saying, God, I don't want you part of this. If I realize that I have sinned and my first reaction is to go, look at me, where's the ability to look at God? Because we're often with children, but I think us adults could probably use a reminder too. Just the fact that you realize that you have given in to that temptation yet again is already a work of Grace. You know people in your life that do sinful things and they don't even realize that they're doing it because they're not open to God's grace to show them what it is that they're doing wrong and how it's impacting them and others around them. If you have the grace to see the error of your thoughts, words, or actions, that's already God going, this is where you need me. And so if God is saying, this is where you need me, But your reaction to that is, look at me, a terrible sinner, then you're not letting God be with you in that place where He's trying to show you your need for Him. Love the sinner, hate the sin. The mercy of God is beyond our comprehension, it doesn't make sense. It's Jesus who washes the feet of the one who is about to betray Him, it's the one who says, No, you are clean. Even though he's about to deny him. And yet, he wants us to cut off our foot, our hand, tear out our eye, if it's going to make sin be a part of our life in any way, shape, or form. Obviously, that's not a literal reality. Jesus doesn't want us to walk into heaven with missing limbs. But what he's saying is don't take half measures with sin. It's not a joke. It's not, oh, that's just a little sin. Anything that is sin is not of God. And anywhere where we allow sin to take hold is a part of our life where we don't let God be a part of it. So, today, when you come up for Holy Communion, when you come up to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ, see that gift of mercy. Pope Francis says, the Eucharist is not a gift for the perfect, but medicine for the sick. There is not a single one of us that will actually approach Holy Communion worthily. That's the reality. But Jesus wants to come to us, sinful. But then, remember that what we pray before we go. Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. But only say the word, and my soul shall be healed. When we say that, we're saying, Lord, let anything that is not of you be rooted out of my life. Ask God for the grace to be harsh with whatever is keeping you from him. But let his mercy come to you in your weakness.